It is Tuesday, April 25th, and this is RaptureCast. We're going to be talking about episode two of the third and final season of HBO's The Leftovers. Don't be ridiculous. Adam, you want to start us off with uh, talking about the man in the tower? Yeah, so um, at the start of this episode, uh, the first scene we get is a shot of man in the tower and uh, falling out of the tower. And then we cut over to Nora giving an interview to um, to his wife. And uh, so basically what's happened there is uh, he's had a heart attack, right? But um, yeah, no, so I don't know. Somebody's, you know, trying to uh, – it's clear from the beginning that, that it's more than just the wife involved um, in, in setting this whole thing up. It becomes clear pretty quickly that, uh, that he didn't, you know, depart and that what we're seeing is actually what's uh, – what's going on uh which is actually an interesting throwback to the first episode when uh nora gives that sort of reminder talk to the police and and lets them know that if somebody mentions departure they got to talk to her um and uh it's interesting that they're they're continuing <clears throat> making her role uh at the dsd a big part of her character this season because that leads into sort of the whole rest of the episode yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, they do. Um, they do cover all that. And uh, yeah, it's it's really it's the scene itself. There's not a lot to talk talk about there. I feel like um, he has a heart attack, much like we we uh, we kind of expected based on what we saw. I really like the way they shot it, actually, where, um, you know, they'd have someone explaining how he uh, he departed or how he, he sort of fizzled out, and then they splice that in with just shots of him falling out of the tower. Mm-hmm. I thought that I thought that was some great editing, and uh, I, re- I really kind of enjoyed that. Um, maybe maybe a little obvious, right? I mean, we all kind of... Right. We didn't necessarily need that, but uh, I liked it. I thought it made everything kind of frank and, uh, and enjoyed Very that. jarring. Yeah, definitely really jarring. Um, so then we go on to find out that, uh, that Matt has given him a burial, right? Right, right. And that's interesting because, you know, this <clears throat> this also similarly tracks with um, the the Millerites that we saw in the first episode, um, and and continues with the uh, the general idea of of what people are willing to do for belief and for their faith, and this sort of expands a little bit because, you know it seems pretty clear that, that this man's wife does not share his, um, his beliefs and, and his conviction. Um, but she loved him enough that, that, uh, it was just as important to her, um, that, you know, it it didn't appear that it was all in vain and that he didn't appear foolish and to have wasted his life, um, and to have died in, in, uh, an admittedly humiliating way. And, you know, I think that's something that uh, that would appeal a lot to Matt to to intervene in that situation, and and uh, you know, because um, in addition to all the other crazy stuff that's always going on around Matt, he really is just a genuinely decent guy, I think, and uh, that comes through here. Yeah, and it it's obvious it does appeal to him because he even talks about how once he went up on that tower, he essentially ignored uh, her, his wife. And uh, she still came every day, took care of him, brought him food, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's obvious that that sort of uh, that sort of devotion from both sides. Right. Uh, the devotion of the wife to her husband 
in in that moment and uh, her husband's devotion to uh, whatever sort of faith he's practicing in that moment uh, really appeal to Matt. And, you know, the obvious ties then between Matt and uh, his wife, Matt taking care of his wife when she was a a paraplegic. Um, So, yeah, obvious kind of tie. It didn't even really, you know, and this is this is another example of of sort of making the question of whether or not something's real um, less important, <clears throat> you know, cause it, it's, it's a totally interesting question as to whether or not um, there was anything going on with this guy, anything uh, supernatural or, you know, what, whether, you know, if it was true that he was going to be, you know, taken away or something, but that question becomes less important in, in light of the fact that, um, his conviction and his belief changed his life and his wife's life. And, um, you know, whether it was true or not, he still lived up on that tower and, and she still pitched a tent underneath him. Um, and I feel like that's a continuing theme within the show that you know, whether or not something is true in the sense, you know, in this sort of historically very recent sense of being, you know, scientifically verifiable uh, isn't as relevant when you consider the consequences of that belief. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, you mentioned continuing themes throughout the show. Uh, one continuing theme uh, that, that I think we're seeing a lot of this season is Nora and Kevin, or maybe specifically Nora, though I guess it's on both sides, pretending that everything is OK. Right. Uh, we see a lot of that in episode one and uh, they really are laying it on thick in episode two. Uh, Nora making corny, awful jokes about uh, about Kevin being, you know, a Jesus type of figure when clearly it's something that makes both of them very uncomfortable. Um, Nora, you know, walking in on Kevin, uh, suffocating himself and just yes. telling him it's all right. You know, it, it seems like neither of them want to kind of address the the severe issues that both of them have. Uh, Nora leaving you know, to go on a business trip when it's it's pretty obvious, right, that it's not necessarily a trip for business or not one that, you know, she had to go on. It's right. pretty clear in her demeanor that that she's telling some sort of she's, obstru- you know, uh, obscuring the truth in some sort of manner to Kevin when she tells him she has to go on a business trip and him just kind of blindly believing it. Uh, I really love where they're kind of they're sending Nora and Kevin this season, because, you know, when we left off season two or when it ended, Uh, Nora and Kevin were kind of in a good place. It it seemed like everything was all right, but it it seems like the past three years have really changed them. And uh, maybe their relationship is a bit on pins and needles. Um, Maybe just the, the uh, overwhelming circumstances of, you know, having all of one's family depart and all the terrible things that have happened to both of them uh, are finally catching up. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with, part of that I, I differ in in um a few respects um I, I don't i don't get the sense that there's an attempt to cover something up um i think that you know if you take what we've seen of their lives so far and just sort of how you know catastrophic uh their their experiences have been with you know kevin you know, his family breaking apart and then coming back together as, as something new and then uh, dying a few times, which is abnormal for anyone, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and the like 
the absolutely unwieldy tragedy that Nora has had to deal with, with losing her family um, in this way that, that, that allows no sense of closure or finality. Um, And I think what we're seeing with Kevin and Nora is maybe an example of like two really broken, fractured people um, coming to terms with that brokenness and that, um, that, that, anti-normalcy and finding some measure of, of uh, comfort with each other or, you know, more specifically the fact that they are broken and the fact that they've endured yeah. so much is what okay. makes them because when, when, you know, the first thing that occurred to me when Nora walked in on Kevin with the, you know, suffocating himself was like, you know, shit, like this is perfect. Like this is exactly what, you know, like, rewind back to season one and you know she's paying prostitutes to shoot her um so like walking in on kevin suffocating himself cannot be that strange of an experience and i think um whether or not he's doing it for the reasons we suspect that are like you know weirder like trying to go back to the hotel and maybe uh you know find something out or um if he's just uh, doing it in, in pursuit of maybe self-harm. I think that like, she really means it when she says it's okay. Like it really does click with her cause she's been through that, um, with the, the shooting thing. And, and, you know, she remarks, um, later on in the episode when she's talking about her tattoo that, um, you know, it didn't hurt and she actually liked it. Um, that, that she has a real understanding of like pain uh, physical pain as a release from like psychological turmoil. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great take. And I really like that. It's not something I considered. Um, the idea that, uh, that maybe in this abnormal world, it's, it's just almost comforting the, uh, the level of strangeness that's going on. Right. Um, and you know, you mentioned, so how do you think this all ties into, cause one theme for Nora throughout the episode was the was technology or touchscreens or just in general, nothing really working out for her. Uh, my initial take was kind of that we're going to see the slow destruction of Nora here and and that this is just setting up this, the kind of slow demise of her character, that things are slowly breaking down around her. Um, what was your take, though? Because that was that was a really prominent, uh, prominent scene, you know, a couple times throughout right. the episode. You know, I think it comes back to, um, you know, when we, uh, when we see, uh, what's his name? The, the, uh, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Lynn Baker, um, when she goes to visit him in, in his hotel room and, you know, he talks about, um, the, the, the quote, uh, when, when she says that he's, you know, I think you're suicidal. Um, and he says, I don't want to kill myself. I want to take some fucking control. Like that seems to track really well with like, like where Nora is. Yes. And like her frustration in like not being able to interface with like the world around her. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> which which sort of culminates in her going to that print shop and 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 lashing out and uh, uh with the poster and and actually having the the clerk uh, use the touchscreen for her. Oh um, man. 
you are on fire with the segues right now. We got so, we got yeah. so many segues in here. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about um, let's talk about Marklin Baker because yeah. that that scene was great. Um, just everything about it. So uh, we did so we did a little bit of research before hopping on here. Uh, looks like uh, LADR that type of radiation doesn't exist in real life. Um, so based on that, you know, based on just the scene as a whole, um, since it's not a type of radiation that really exists, uh, in the, in the real world, I'm going to base kind of my take on it just based on what they showed us. And, uh, I, I tend to believe here, um, that people are actually just kind of setting the, you know, nuking themselves, setting themselves on fire, incinerating themselves. Right. Um, I, I thought the way the way the scene was kind of drawn out afterwards where she watched those testimonials, I thought that was, that was intended to give the viewer the idea that these were kind of the last things, uh, these people recorded before, uh, yeah, before essentially killing them, themselves. Uh, suicide notes, which I thought was a really yeah. apt description. Yeah. They were very suicide note esque, uh, with, you know, today's the paper, here's today's paper and, um, I'm of sound mind, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that, that was kind of my takeaway. What a powerful scene, um, I really well done. Yeah. I, I really get the impression that like there's, there, there have sort of been like, you know, two very, uh, very broad categories, but, but distinct categories that we see in this show in terms of like answers to the departure and like how people are coping. And one of the interesting, it, it tracks really well with our you know, our world, because you see, you know, there's this whole like wide diversity of faiths out there. There's, you know, an infinity of, of religious traditions. Um, and they all make some attempt at like expressing divinity and, and understanding, uh, the, the not understandable, but you also have, you know, something like, you know, and, uh, like Scientology. And I apologize to any listeners that, that might, uh, might partake in Scientology, but, um, you do have something that, that feels decidedly different and has, um, a very strong economic component. And I think we see the same thing in the leftovers where even groups that, that seem, you know, profoundly damaged and wrong, like the guilty remnant, um, there's no like attempt to to exploit this like there's something very devout about it um but there's the other side of things you know if you go back to season one uh the episode guest which has a lot of similarities with this episode where Nora takes a trip to New York yeah um you know we see uh someone like <clears throat> Holy Wayne um you know who's uh, having people set up PayPal accounts you know, the guy in the bar um, who's, you know, lost people, but is, is selling a book now. Um, you know, and now we have this, this person who is, um, you know, selling, uh, this, this radiation chamber, but you know, they want uh, something like $200,000 or something. Um, I, I think, you know, these things give a very different feeling and there's like a much darker component to it when, um, it doesn't seem real and it doesn't seem genuine or sincere it's these and and in fact if there's if there is a if the show is editorializing at all um this seems to be a very harsh critique of any attempt 
to exploit grief or sincerity. And actually, uh, there's another example in that same episode guest with the, um, uh, the, the company that makes fake dead bodies that people can bury if their loved ones. Yeah, depart. yeah. That ends up being a pretty important arc in season one, actually, if I recall. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great point and not not necessarily something I considered because they they kind of drop the the cost in there just a couple times. Right. She asked what's what's the cost when she talks to him um, in St. Louis and he mentions something like one percent of your net worth. And then you hear the total cost when she gets the phone call, though. It's not it's not a major point, but it's definitely something to be considered. Right. Also, also the fact that the service seems to target wealthy people. Um you know, being it's an actor from uh, from Perfect Strangers, which I don't right. know much about, but uh, obviously being an actor, he he'd have some sort he'd have amassed some sort of wealth, I assume. He also seems to be kind of a mark for them as well. Um, I think he mentions uh, I may be wrong about this, but I believe he mentions in the show or it's mentioned somewhere else that of the cast members of the main cast members, he was the only one who didn't depart. Um. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I, did. I don't, you know, that may have been mentioned in the scene where, uh, Nora's talking to the people who work, uh, back at DSD. Maybe they mentioned it then. Yeah. It's one of those like sort of, uh, on the periphery things like, um, uh, like, like, uh, Gary Busey departing, um, that's yeah. just sort of, uh, um, you know, not, not a main fo- focus, but if you're like listening to the radio in the background or like watching a TV screen at a diner or something, you'll see something flash by. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's definitely the show does a good job about that. But I think it's I, I think that that it's pretty safe to say this is bunk, and 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 I think the show is is really you know heavily leaning towards that. I think all of the you know um, you know let's remember like Nora has been doing this for a long time. Um, yeah. Not only does she work for the DSD, but she lost her entire family. If there's a solution to this out there, if there's an answer out there, um, I think she would have found it. And she is, uh, her character is incredibly competent. And, you know, I think that she just has a really good bullshit detector. And um, Agreed. I think me and you are both in agreement that she's just going here to, to uh, shut them down or, uh, you know, uh, lay down the law. Yeah. To some extent, maybe call them out. I guess it's going to be difficult to lay the law down in Australia. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, that's interesting. Actually, it, do we know if the DSD is an arm of the American government or if it's through some sort of international organization? I, I assume it's American government. Uh, they make reference to it being grouped in with uh, ATF, right? Alcohol, tobacco and firearms. Isn't isn't there? Cults, a reference? Yeah. Yeah. In cults. So yeah, I, I, I assume it's right. an American arm, but I, I guess it's very possible for it to be an international arm. Um, Who knows could be relevant jurisdiction there. But I, I really think Nora's showing up to uh, to kind of slap a poster, you know, similar to what she did earlier in the episode um, for Tower Man. I think we're going to have another scene similar to that where she or that's at least what maybe yeah. she intends to do. I don't know if the scene will play out the same way. And put a poster up is an awesome euphemism for like. Yeah. Nora kicking down doors. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's uh, <laughs> that's great. It's a good one. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit more about about Nora's uh, journey because there's an interesting sort of detour that happens um, after she yeah. leaves. Um, 
after she leaves the, uh, the, the hotel, um, I think it was in St. Louis, um, she drives to Kentucky. Um, and I know you had some thoughts about this whole sequence of, of her running into Lily. So um, break that down for us and whether or not you think that was um, uh, appropriate or, or if that was effective at, at getting across the message. It just, you know, it seemed a little... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't, not tone deaf, but <clears throat> it seemed, you know, I, I don't know if we needed that an entire scene devoted to it. I, I feel like the, uh, the viewers of this show are pretty quick to pick up on a lot of things. And that whole scene where she sees, uh, Lily with Christine and then later on where, uh, Tommy pulls her over and they have the conversation about how Christine got custody of Lily again, really just kind of beating us over the head with the obvious. It seemed like that could have been mentioned in passing and accomplished the same thing. I didn't get a lot from it. Interesting. Um, so I, you know, not a huge fan of that particular scene. Maybe they needed that to get her to, uh, you know, to the Wu-Tang jump off. But, uh, True. um, <laughs> you know, possible. if that's the case, if that's the case, then, then they'll get the pass. Cause I really like that scene. But, um, yeah, but honestly it didn't feel necessary to me for her to meet Christine and, for all, you know, just the obvious, just the kind of obvious dialogue, honestly. And, you know, I've talked to some other people, some friends who watch the show, and they've had some complaints about the obvious dialogue in in episode one, where it seems like the writers are just really trying to get us up to speed quick about mm. what's taken place over the past three years. And I, I don't like to complain about the show a lot. We make a podcast about it. Right. And I generally really like it. It's, you know, I, I think season two is one of my all time favorite seasons of TV that I've watched, but mm -hmm. there's been some weird moments where the writing just seems to be kind of obvious and like they don't have a lot of faith in their viewers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, that's a hard one because like there's, there's so much of this show. Um, you know, I remember us like, you know, we watched season one together. So before we did the podcast, but you know, one of the things that, that appealed to both of us, um, was just the sort of take no prisoners style of narrative and uh, nothing was handed to you. And I still feel like that's the case. Um, and I think we might be, it, it might be conflating um, to say that uh, the, the show or the narrative is, is spoon feeding something when, uh, Maybe it's just, you know, some spotty writing here or there um, because. Yeah, fair enough. I rewatched that sequence after we discussed it uh, yesterday. And um, I think I can I can definitely get in line with that sequence, probably taking up too much real estate in the episode. Um, but the the emotional like devastation of Lily not knowing who she was. Yeah, very good point. Um, I mean, one, I think it's hugely important to the to the story and to the narrative. But two, like Carrie Coon's ability to express so much with just a facial expression is staggering. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that was a, a a good chance to show that off. I will say, um, this. 
I, I'm sort of reserving judgment because because I agree with you to an extent. I'm reserving a, a broader judgment because I think there may be some payoff and that this whole arc of like Christine getting Lily back and then Nora having this conversation uh, with Garvey Jr. And there, there might be something more to come that that pays off with that. Uh, I hope that's the case. Um because that scene mm. in her car was particularly devastating. Um, and his, I don't know. His party I, shot and saying I left him for my dad uh, was pretty rough. I don't know. I don't know if I see anything coming of that because we're about to move a lot of the cast to Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Where theoretically we assume that Nora may stay for the remainder of her days based on the flash forward that we see in episode one. So right. I'm not I'm not so sure that it's we're possible. going to get anything out of Lily and Christine. I really felt like that was a like that was kind of their send off for the show. Christine seemed oddly normal. Um, Lily seemed fairly, you know, OK. And right. I, I really thought that was kind of their uh, their farewell. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like it's hard for me to let go. But like think about how much time we spent like theory crafting on Lily. Uh over like the end of season one and throughout season two of like, if this baby was special in some way and the show seemed to like, you know, really encourage that. And I would be kind of bummed out if there wasn't something to sort of cap that story off. And it wasn't just like, well, Christine came back and that's it. Um, I don't know. Maybe so. I, one thing I will point out is that we've, we've theory crafted a lot around this show and something like, you know, 90 percent of the time, it turns out to just be the most obvious natural explanation. Right. Uh, take Dean, for instance. We we had a lot of really good theories around Dean. Right. Around him being able to uh, communicate with the other world. And it turns out he's just crazy. Right. The, the only theory that's really ever kind of come true that we didn't even necessarily come up with was the most ridiculous one, which was that Kevin transports to uh, another another parallel universe and can die and come back to life. But for the most part, we haven't stepped much outside of the supernatural. So it, it wouldn't shock me to just find out that, uh, that Lily was no more than just a red herring or a product of, uh, you know, the, the crazy, the cult that, uh, so it'd be surprising to you if like the next episode opened with like Lily, just like floating in air and quoting the book of Kevin, you're saying you wouldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, no, uh, that would be that would be a bit of a shock. I think you lack imagination. <laughs> well, you know, um, let's see. we got to put it on tape. That's because exactly. that one. That one is on tape. Um, yeah, and I better we know that they listen some, to the show. So <laughs> I need to get some ridiculous flair on the subreddit if that's if that actually takes place. Um, so, OK, uh, let's uh, let's talk about um, another final sequence because there was a big one in in the first episode um with uh, a seemingly old nora in the future um and i want to go back to that actually because i we have some ideas about uh this this um this particular sequence and and going back to the ending sequence of the first episode but let's talk about this um police chief in australia other kevin um, other kevin australian kevin and the four horsewomen mate. of the apocalypse. Mate. Mate. <laughs> exactly. So um, there is, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, 
I spent more time than I'm willing to admit in public uh, trying to screen cap the <clears throat> actors uh, in the, the four women in the car from uh, season one, uh, the Garvey's at their best, and compare them to screen caps of these four women in this episode, which was largely fruitless. They're not the same actors um, for anyone who's wondering that uh, and hadn't gone and, and compared them. They're definitely not the same actors. Um, but there's definitely some kind of, of connection here. I don't think it's just a coincidence that four women in a car are driving through Mapleton, uh, the day of the, the great departure, um, and looking for, for someone. And, um, we now have four similarly aged women, uh, riding ostensibly through the hills of Australia on horses looking for a sheriff named Kevin. Um, so there's some kind of connection, but, um, Let's. I want to get your take on um, on that scene and uh, uh, what you think the um, uh, the connections might be between you know them having some knowledge of the Book of Kevin and looking for Kevin and and where do you land on this? Yeah. So let's talk a couple surface level things just to get started. I think this scene in and of itself uh, informs us, the viewer, that. 100% that is not the only copy of the book of Kevin, right? And I think we get some hints to that early on in uh, season three, episode one, when um, when Kevin walks in on, shoot, I can't remember his name. On Matt? But, uh, or Michael? Uh, not Michael, sorry. Yeah, sure, so sure. when Kevin walks in on Michael, asks him if he's watching porn on the laptop, when, right. you know, then we see him close a text editor file. Um, so, you know, it's pretty clear that, uh, that, Michael and Matt have been distributing this book online to some extent uh, because they they even make it, they even uh, drop a quote that I believe to be from the um, the book of Kevin itself uh, goes to the tune of and he looked at them and raised his hand but they did not wave in response and so he touched the stone to his chest and jumped into the water um, which I think you pointed out uh, references back to season two episode one when Kevin slash Patty tried to drown himself, right? Yeah, yeah, Alt-Kevin. Um, yeah, Alt-Kevin, there we go. Uh, yeah, I, and I would like to say, I would love it if somebody with uh, some experience in software development and way too much time on their hands could maybe put together something where you could, like, plug in a sentence and, like, Bible-ish it like they did with this. Oh, that's got to exist, right? Right. That's got to be a thing somewhere. If somebody can like drop us a link to that, that would be awesome because we will if if that exists, we will like for all future episodes of this show, put our show descriptions through that because that that would be all the show notes will go through that. Yeah. So find it, email it, rapturecast at gmail.com. Yes. Rapturecast mail. Oh, at gmail.com or sorry, uh, uh, rapture. That's why we're not getting as many emails as we should. It's just you're I'm telling the we're saying email. the wrong email address. Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, or at rapture underscore cast at no, just at rapture underscore cast. That's our Twitter handle. So you can shoot us stuff there too. Um, that works too. Carrier pigeon works as well. Anything at this point. Um, so yeah, they, there's, uh, I have a take on this, um, because that's definitely, something that either Mac, Matt or, uh, or Michael wrote. And 
the idea that I have, uh, one, I totally agree with you. They're publishing it online, probably anonymously. Um, yeah, definitely. It would have to be anonymous because um, none of these women, women appear dumb and they seem to have mistook um, Texas for Australia. And so they're just wandering <laughs> around looking for a police chief named Kevin rather than like a particular one that lives in Jarden, Texas. So, well, it seems like they had done their research, right? They they knew uh, they knew that his name was Kevin <laughs> and they right. knew that he was a police chief. Right. So I don't know if they were wandering around and, you know, they had done enough research to locate his house. Right. Um, Which is amazing. But, like, I don't think like it's kind of funny that like they seem to have done enough research into the book of Kevin and yet like not enough research that they're literally like are haphazardly willing to just murder this guy on the off chance that it's the one they're looking for after he repeatedly says it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. But uh, so I, I have this kind of a side theory and I, I think that uh, this is true. Some of the pushback I've heard is that, you know, Matt is saying this is the only copy in this sort of leather bound thing. Um, I don't think that's true at all. I think Matt's lying to Kevin. Um, I think it was important for Kevin to think that it's the only copy because Matt needs to know he needs to gauge to what extent Kevin uh, accepts what's happening to him and maybe believes what's going on with him. And if he believes this is the only copy, then his decision uh, whether or not to destroy it is infinitely more meaningful. Um, yeah. And I think the fact that he didn't destroy it, um, you know, may have sent a strong signal to Matt to, uh, to keep going and keep doing what he's doing. Yeah, definitely. And that's a really good point. Not one I'd necessarily considered, but yeah, it, it's certainly not, not the only copy. Um, that seems, uh, incredibly apparent at this point. Right. Um, so they definitely killed this guy. Um, what do you think, uh, uh, you know, what do you think Garvey senior's response is going to be to this? You know, that's kind of tough to extrapolate. I don't, I, I don't think he's going to be upset necessarily. Um, he seems unflappable. You, yeah. It, do you think maybe he's going to set him straight? Set him straight that uh, that he knows the real Kevin, that he's related to the real Kevin? Right. I, I mean, I, I think that'll happen for sure. It is a little weird that it happened in his yard, right? Is that a coincidence or what? And that's strange. I don't know. Um, one initial thought uh, for me was Garvey Sr. was in play to inform the viewer of the timeline. Since uh, this episode one ended with a flash forward, uh, I don't think Lindelof and Perota wanted us confused about what time uh, time zone or timeline this was taking place in. So I think uh, they brought Garvey Sr. out maybe to some extent to let us know that it's taking place in the present. And uh, Damon, you can just write in rapturecastmail at gmail.com. Let me know if that's right. Yeah, that's what he, that's where he usually sends them. I, yeah, I, I think that's possible, but I think it's unlikely because we already have the weather broadcast in the right, Damon. Just scene. let him know. Just let him know, Damon. <laughs> so I mean, we already have the the broadcaster. Um, and I went back and checked. Um, he doesn't just say it's the anniversary. The broadcaster says we're coming up on the seventh anniversary of the Great Departure, October fifteenth. So 
I think they already kind of establish. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. That it's present. I think there's definitely because like it's weird, right? That you would have like a special like people killing seesaw in your front yard, right? Like that's a weird yeah, thing. That's a really good point. It it was already set up. Um, well, you know, I guess it was already set up to the to what extent? Because I guess they um, they shoot him with the tranquilizer dart and then it fades out. And next thing we see is him strapped to the seesaw. So it's right. it's also possible that they built it on the spot. Um, you know, I don't know how well, likely a, that is. But. Have you, I don't know if you've seen um, the uh, in the weeks ahead video that they've they've put out um that's like a trailer for the upcoming episodes but um, i just saw next week's so i next week's i saw has nothing has everything to do with uh garvey senior and it appears nothing to do with kevin or well, anybody else there's a really quick cut in the and uh guys if you want to check this out just go to youtube.com search the leftovers weeks ahead and it'll be like the first thing that pops up so you can see it it's like um uh 30 seconds long um, youtube you say Never heard yeah, of that you, site. it's not on. Um, it's not on Vimeo. I know that's the first place most people check is Vimeo. Okay. Um, yeah. No, Bing, I've never heard. Then you go to Vimeo. Yeah. All right. Um, in this case, it's a little bit more roundabout. You want to go Google, then YouTube, then search. I'll have to ask Jeeves about the YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the uh, in the video though, there's a very very brief clip of Kevin getting dunked on what I'm sure is the same machine. Really? Okay. Oh so, boy. um, I, this is like, uh, like almost like a really macabre version of, uh, like the witch trial, uh, in Monty Python's Holy Grail. Yeah. And like, this is just how you check if you have the right Kevin, you just drown them and, um, <laughs> people just have to die needlessly until you find the right Kevin. Um, so yeah, let's, um, uh, let's, let's backtrack uh, just, a uh, just a little bit to the, um, to the LADR, the, uh, the low amplitude, um, Denziger radiation, if I'm getting that right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have kind of an idea that's sort of a half formed theory, but just a general concept that, um, it, it seems a little, uh, it seemed a little weird seeing old Nora. Um, but I think it's worth considering that, um, maybe Nora's not old. Um, that it's possible that, you know, whatever they're doing with her makeup in that ending sequence to episode one, um, could be the result of radiation. Um, now this, this theory assumes that she arrives, uh, on site in Australia, ready to, uh, ready to be blasted with LADR radiation or she, something happens that convinces her that getting blasted with radiation is a good idea, right? That's a possible, yes. Uh, it's also possible that the machine breaks, something goes wrong and just, okay. you know, maybe she's there, but there's some kind of like, uh, you know, she's just sort of caught in the crossfire, like Dr. Manhattan, like it's not an intentional thing, but instead of getting like, instead of turning blue and like, uh, being able to like space travel, she just gets super old. Um, it's, you never know. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the idea. And I think it's another one of those put it on tape because I really believe I think that scene with Nora Sarah takes place far in the future. There's just there's a lot of keys. She's changed her name. They're asking if she knows a Kevin and and she denies it. Yep. And then, uh, you know, 
all all male now is apparently by carrier pigeons. So, um, or were they doves? I thought they were doves. I, they were like doves, and, and they weren't reading them, so it obviously wasn't male. Yeah, uh, something but, weird going on. Yeah, it really to me my my gut bet is still that that was a flash forward. But uh, but I like the idea that maybe maybe she does get the uh, the radiation treatment and contracts some sort of aging disease. That's you know. It's a possibility. I think it's kind of on the fringe. Tinfoil had it, but uh, yeah, probably, you know, it's definitely out there. Let's uh, let's jump over to uh, some behind the scenes stuff. Um, yeah, we'll hit the behind the scenes here. Yeah, this is uh, this episode was directed by Keith Gordon um, and uh, we're back to a, a more traditional writing team. Um, from the first episode, this was Lindelof and Perota. Um, and Keith Gordon's been doing stuff for a long time in, uh, in television. Um, he did a lot of episodes of, of Dexter. Um, he did some stuff with house. He's done a couple, uh, leftovers episodes before too. He did two boats and a helicopter and, and, uh, and 1013. Yep. Um, and in 2015, he did a, a, a handful of episodes for, uh, for Fargo. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I just want to say it again. I feel like I say this every time we talk about Keith Gordon, but Two Boats in a Helicopter was like the episode that show, sold me on this show. I was wavering early on and I mm-hmm. saw that episode and just absolutely just changed, changed it for me. That was that was the one. Yeah, no, uh, I, I hear you. That was um, and and on that same track, I'm really hoping for a Matt episode this season. I think we're going to get it. There's an episode coming up. I've seen the titles. It's called uh, "It's a Matt 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 World." Um, oh boy, that's exciting! Which I'm guessing is a reference to that um, that old movie. I think it was from the '90s. The "It's a Matt 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 World" had a bunch of like SNL actors in it. Um, okay. I'm not sure if there's a like a correlation there, but that's the title seems to reference it. Um, but we could be getting uh, another. Uh, another Matt episode, uh, which would be really, really cool. Um, uh, Keith, so. uh, Keith Gordon's not going to be directing it, though. Unfortunately, it's going to be uh, uh, Nicole Castle, who I don't know a lot about, admittedly. Um, but what do you think? I mean, did you did you notice anything uh, uh, anything jump out at you this episode in terms of uh, a direction or um, or the photography? Okay, uh, so the one thing that jumped out out out, out at me, uh, we talked about earlier, was just when. They uh, they cut up the interviews with the uh, guy having a heart attack and falling off the tower. Um, I really enjoyed that scene. I, I thought that was really well cut together. And um, and then, you know, the other scene that kind of jumps out is uh, the Wu-Tang jump off on the trampoline. Really like that. We didn't talk about it and I feel bad tossing it in now, but I, it's something I wanted to talk about. Just it was so ridiculous, right? They're playing Wu-Tang Clan and jumping on a trampoline, but it was so sad the same time right you know i just loved it so i don't want to go into it too much but um no, those are the those are the two things that initially just kind of stuck out to me um no that's good i think i think both of those um scenes um offer some degree of, of dark humor and kind of like juxtaposing these like these very weird like tonalities um and is it just me or that first sequence kind of reminded me a little bit of of, of season one of true detective um the way they shoot the uh, 
the scene uh, where uh, the, the detectives are, are telling the story of, of going out to the farm and they're they're lying. So we see like what actually happened and then what they're saying happened. Oh, God, that was great. Yeah, that's um, season one, like episode four, I want to say. Yes. Where they're they're talking about uh, finding. Gosh, I can't remember his name. We don't want to spoil it for anyone who's terrible and hasn't seen season one of True Detective. But, um, you know, and one other thing uh, that I that I didn't catch, but I caught later on when I was uh, kind of scouring the Internet is the theme song to this episode, which sounded a lot like a, you know, 80s sitcom to me is actually the theme song of an 80s sitcom called Perfect Strangers. Yep. And um, did you notice the written by uh, was it was like a random name generator. It was like the lonely Donkey Kong and somebody else. Interesting. Yeah, they did. They didn't actually uh, credit themselves in in the written by. Uh, it was obvious it came out of some kind of random, random name generator on the Internet. It's pretty funny. That's interesting. Um, yeah, if uh, if any of our listeners uh, are from more familiar with Perfect Strangers um, and you're seeing something we're not in terms of like how that show might track with some of the Mark Lynn Baker stuff in this episode definitely drop us an email at uh, rapturecastmail at gmail.com or uh, on Twitter at rapture underscore cast because we're super interested to know about that. Neither of us have any familiarity with that show or any of the players involved. So, Yeah, definitely. There were a lot of references to it, but again, I, I've never seen it and they didn't seem like um, hugely important references, which I guess, you know, never something you necessarily want to say when you're talking about the leftovers, but right. just, you know. And just, just to, to reiterate, be- um, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously like good television and you're watching The Leftovers. And if you have not seen the first season of True Detective, go watch it. Go watch it right now. You have enough time. Probably it's like it's it's you know, this episode's probably going to come out on Wednesday. It's Tuesday right now. You have enough time to get through 10 hours of television before yeah. the next Leftovers episode. And then, you know, you do it because you won't regret it. It's a great show. Yeah, definitely a uh, top five. For me personally. So is there anything else you wanted to touch on in the episode? Uh, any other stuff you wanted to talk about before we go? No, um, you know, another great episode. I really enjoyed it. I felt like it was a step in the right direction. I felt like it was a step in the weird direction. You so an upward you, trajectory from, from episode one. Definitely. And, you know, we talked about this uh, a little bit, I think yesterday at some point. Um, but this season really kind of reminds me of uh, watching you know, a, a slow crash, maybe like a, a cruise liner yes. kind of slowly crash into a harbor. I feel like they're setting up a lot of threads. I love this and, metaphor. And everything is about to kind of meet up in Australia. You know, you're you're seeing um, the four women, you know, kill that guy in Australia and everyone's getting pulled there. And I feel like we're just about to see some serious devastation um, take place because they're really setting up something, I feel like. Yeah, actually, as a as a final thought, as we wrap up here, I'm I'm curious. Um, it seems as a, a a certainty that Nora's going to Australia, Kevin's going to Australia, yeah. Uh, Garvey Senior's already in Australia. Who yep. else do you think might go along? You know, that's a good question. I it, Tommy seems kind of obvious, um, and maybe uh, maybe Matt, right? Matt and possibly Michael, just because they're writing that book of Kevin. And so I, I think those seem possible, you know, Matt has a lot of ties to Jarden, especially when, you know, when it comes to its healing powers, but they've also, they've pushed his wife out of the picture, right? She's moved away. 
So he doesn't necessarily have that uh, that tie down to stay with her. So uh, I I think any of the main kind of characters can go along. Um, I'm not convinced any of them will necessarily. I, but, you know, I think all we need is Garvey Jr. and Garvey Sr. and Nora all in Australia. I think we got a party right there. I think that's that's what we need. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I think either I also think it's possible that um, you know they're pretty invested in Kevin. I think uh, I think Matt and Michael might try to bring him back. Uh, may have to kidnap him or something. I don't think I don't think these guys want to. Leave. I like that idea. Yeah, they, they, Matt, Matt and Michael seem pretty invested um, in the idea of Miracle or, or Jarden, and like this is where you know if something goes down, it's going to go down here, and we yeah, need definitely. to get, keep the players uh, involved. Um, finally, I do want to comment. Uh, I I'm hugely bummed out on Janelle Maloney. Um, I'm a big fan of hers and, uh, it's a little bit of bullshit that, um, we went through two entire seasons of her being in a coma and she wakes up and we get like two scenes of her. So, uh, I hope she comes back in some way cause she's great. And I would love to see some more, uh, continuation of the story between her and, and Matt and their child. Yeah, boy, they really moved her out quick. It yeah. did not take long to just kind of write her right out of the picture. Um, but we'll see what happens there. You know, as much as she was in the show for two seasons, she hasn't been a major player until, you know, season two when she basically woke up at the end. Right. Yeah, which is a bummer. I don't know. Like if there's like a West Wing reunion or something happening, but I doubt it. Like, I'm not sure what else she's got to do um, or if this is a. Uh maybe a, a choice on the part of the writers. It just seems a little weird that, um, you know, she's just, her story seems to have been building for so long and, uh, she's just gone. So I think that's gonna, that's gonna play a role, uh, in the future. So, yeah, definitely. Um, you want to do some predictions for, uh, for the next episode? You want to toss them in there? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's see. I'm going to say, um, uh, for the next episode specifically, I don't know if I have any specific predictions, I think things are going to get weird uh, with Garvey Sr., and I'm all about that. I love his goofy shit. I love how weird he is. Um, we've seen, like, the in, just in the trailer, like, he's he's just doing some weird stuff. He's trying to prevent the apocalypse. I, I love his heart. Yeah, I love um, that. That was great. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's really doing the Lord's work, so I'm all about that. Um, long-term predictions, um, I think, uh, I think Kevin... Uh, and Nora are definitely going to Australia. I think Matt's going to try to bring him back. I think uh, a lot of the weird clips we've seen in trailers for the weeks ahead and, and like uh, for the rest of the show, uh, stuff that's going on with Matt, I think, uh, I don't know. I think Matt sees himself as a disciple of Kevin in a weird way. And I think he's right. um, uh, like part disciple, part guide. Um, I think they're pretty invested in keeping Kevin in Jarden, and I think they're going to try to bring him back. And that's going to lead to some conflict. So what do you think? Right on. Uh, the only thing I want to add, I agree with all those predictions. Um, the only thing I want to add to the next episode prediction is that I think the next episode is completely about Garvey senior. I don't think there's any mention of Kevin, Nora or anybody else. I don't even think we get a scene of them going to the airport. Right. I think this becomes a, uh, a bit of a two boats in a helicopter style episode where it's all about Garvey senior, you know, much like that episode was all about Matt. And uh, I think it's I think that's it. I think the whole thing takes place start to finish in Australia. And um, then I think come episode four, we get to see uh, Kevin and Nora 
travel to Australia and then kind of pick up from there. So I think you're right about that. Episode four is called G'day Melbourne. Uh, so I think you're you're right about that. It also promises to be a, a pretty big episode, too. If you look at the uh, the Wikipedia entry um, and what they've released, it looks like Damon's doing the story. Um, but the teleplay actually is uh, Tamara P. Carter and Haley Harris. And that's interesting. A teleplay is a word I haven't seen in show credits since I watched The West Wing. So um, that I think that one promises to be pretty uh, a, a pretty, pretty tight uh, episode. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap up here. Uh, we do want to mention before we go, uh, like we did last week, that we are going to be starting a new podcast when The Leftovers wraps up and RaptureCast comes to a close. Uh, we're going to be... R.I.P. Uh, uh, exactly. We're going to be launching this uh, beginning of 2018. It's going to be a show about television. It's going to be about politics. It's going to be about culture. It's going to be about how this stuff intersects and uh, what we can learn and how we can connect the stuff we're watching to our lives more broadly. And uh, we're not settled on doing any particular show. It's going to be a more freeform thing. Uh, Adam and I watch a lot of shows, so um, maybe we just do it about True Detective season one. I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying it's going to happen, but maybe the whole podcast is just about True Detective season one. Honestly, that's so not now, a terrible idea. It's just every year we rewatch season one of True Detective and yeah. talk about it more and never, more. Never season two though. Just never always. Se- I didn't. Is there a season two? I don't think so. Okay, because I checked I the wiki and ever, there wasn't a season two. It said, it said there's one season of True Detective and then there's another season of another show that's just uh, called Dumpster Fire. And, yeah, um, the spinoff of True Detective with yeah. Vince Vaughn or somebody. You know, it's, it's like not, a comedy thing with Vince Vaughn, yeah. Dumpster Fire. Exactly. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, trash can, trash can garbage babies. There's like a Rachel McAdams that. cameo or something. I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch not, it. Um, it's not something our our listeners need to uh, need to be worried about. It's not something you need to be concerned with. Definitely not. So yeah, it still doesn't have a name. We have a working title, but uh, we're uh, we're getting there, and uh, uh, you guys will be the first to know when we have more information about that show. Uh, we're Definitely. ready to announce a launch date and everything. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. So we will see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us again for uh, for RaptureCast. Yeah. Have a good one. 